incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is Hagik. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. Welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Creating worlds with the flick of his wrist. He is the co-creator of DC Comics' Nubia, artist on Knight Rider, The X-Files, and Marvel's Iron Man, writer-illustrator of the steampunk Star Trek parody, for legal reasons, from Antarctic Press, Airship Enterprise... It's Brian Denham! Yay! Yay! Anu Nanu! <laughs> How you doing, man? I am doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. So good. I, I thank you so much. I, I imagine you're super busy. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I let, am. Let's 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 dive right in. Um, how did uh how did the pandemic affect you as a working comic book creator like i mean there was the day where like oh things had to be taken to the office or faxed in but nowadays with everybody working digitally i imagine maybe there wasn't so much of a hiccup on your end i imagine a hiccup on like shipping and stores being open in terms of like the print stuff but so much of the stuff is digital now like did you feel any sort of lull or anything like on your end from covid well, um, I started working digital um, since uh, like 1998. I had surgery on my hand and uh, my, oh, brother, wow. my brother sent me a awake on tablet, uh, which I am still using. Uh, it's like 24 years later. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and uh, it's a great product endorsement. Like, yeah, hey. <laughs> yeah. He, he was working at Microsoft at the time. And I was like, I can't even hold a pencil. My hand hurts so bad. And he's Ooh. like, well, you should switch to digital. It'll probably be less. Uh, stress on your hand so he sent me a iMac and a like a brand new iMac they'd just come out with those colored iMacs at the time yeah yeah and and um and a tablet and I started working digitally and um uh I uh, I was working at a studio in California called uh, Top Cal and uh you know they let me come in there and just practice to try to get my hand up to speed but um so I've been working digital for 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 a long time 24 yeah. years now um so when the pandemic was starting I um uh, I work at a company called Anarch Press, and uh, the owner is—he's um, um, a doctor as well. And mm-hmm. uh, so he was getting medical reports every week already from his job. And you know, and I'd asked him because uh, I saw like a report on the news about uh, you know uh, this mysterious uh, ailment or whatever, you know. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, it's not—it's—it's it's not a big deal right now." And then it was, and it was like. <laughs> maybe february of what 2020 yeah Uh, so so before everybody started going home uh he was like hey this is this is getting serious maybe we don't need to be meeting all the time you know and which we would go up to the office and have a a regular weekly meeting and so he um uh before anybody called it off you know before anybody started working digital or you know doing zooms he he um he was like, we're, we're not coming to the meeting anymore, like in person, no more in-person meetings and, and we'll do everything, you know, through Zoom. Yeah. Uh, so um, he, he was like, you know, one of the early adapters in the pandemic to just be like, everybody stay home. So oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. My uh, my wife works uh, in the she works in the medical field, but it's on the accounting side. So they had just finished budget season and then the shutdown happened and she came. Oh, wow. She came home. She was like everything we've done over the past few months is complete garbage. We have to start all over. I was just like, Oh no. And then oh my God. she's uh, you know, she was helping. Um, she was part of a firm that would uh, do uh, consultations and uh, she's a consultant is what I'm getting at. And um, you know, when these hospitals were told that they had to cut, you know, 30% across the board, she was the person going in and going, Hey, not across the board. <laughs> 
in yeah. areas that you can afford to cut. If you cut 30% of the cancer research, people mm. die. <laughs> so, oh, uh, yeah, see, she felt that for sure. And, you know, on my end, I work at a law firm that's my nine to five and all the courthouses shut down. All these, oh, cases, yeah. all these cases, cases were left pending while at the same time, more cases are accruing. Yeah. And it was, it's, we still haven't recovered like the, mm. the, the wait time to get documents and records from the courthouse and to get a court date for almost anything is I always tell people, look, pack a lunch. It's going to take a minute. <laughs> it's going to oh, take man. a long time. Oh, um, but yeah, you know, in, do, in doing stand-up comedy, like all the mics shut down. I bet. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, they started to open back up after that first wave and I kind of got back in. And then that's when I caught COVID. I caught COVID at a show and it was, you know, hmm. after I hosted a show, I got a call from one of the comedians going, oh, hey, by the way, uh, I tested positive. It was like, well, oh, good. No. at least we were all using the same microphone. <laughs> like wiping it off. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. So, yeah. I, oh, I, my God. Needless to say, I haven't I haven't been back in ugh, over a year. So and, so you, you had the early COVID. Yeah, I got it. I I got my test results uh Christmas Eve. That was that was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, oh my god. I was so paranoid. Well, you know, our company's so small that that mm-hmm. if any one of us get it and are taken out of work, uh it'll it'll crush our whole company, you know. Oh, oh man. So, <laughs> so like uh I, I so we'll start with Antarctic Press and kind of work our way backwards and then work our way forwards a little bit. How big is Antarctic Press? Cuz you guys, I mean, you're on the uh, shelves next to DC, Marvel, all these other companies, but like it's a smaller, it's a smaller label. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're small. We at some points, uh, like we've been around since 1985, so um, it's 37 years. Cool. Uh, at some point in the 90s, we were like the seventh largest publisher in the United States. You know, nice. Um, we've also uh, when, you know, the, the main distributor for the comic book industry is called Diamond, uh, you know, distributors. And uh, we signed up with them really early when they when they first began. And so, like, we're like client 25 or something like that. Oh, wow. You know, 21 or something. Um, yeah. uh, really. And and now we're one of the um, top well, less than 10. I know that for certain, but I, I know it's a smaller number, but we're one of the top, you know, eight maybe publishers left that was there 35 years ago when they first started. So, so, you know, the 20 or so companies before us, they, they're gone now, you know, they no longer exist. And so we're, we're one of their longest uh, accounts, which is funny because anytime they get a new person that has to handle our account, they have to learn our entire backlog, you know, our entire history of working with diamonds. So it's 37 years after they have to learn. Yeah. But um, yeah. So um, at some, at a certain point, like I, uh, I came here, you know, I came to work at this company in uh, 90, 97. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, like, you know, they had a, a very large office, which they just sold like four or five years ago. Um, but they had like 20 to 30 people in the bullpen working, you know? Wow. And, uh, and it was like a real comic book bullpen. Like, uh, you know, a lot of times like Stan Lee would say, oh, we have a Marvel bullpen, but there was never anybody working at the office. Everybody worked at home. Yeah. But, <laughs> but we we've had since for 37 years, we've had an actual studio with artists working in there, you know, night and day for 37 years, you know? Man, that's and awesome. uh, yeah. And, and when you think like in the history of comics, like there's not many companies that can one say they've been around 37 years or two have artists working together for, you know, almost that whole time you know yeah that and, hand that hands-on that hands-on in-person face-to-face collaboration is such a yeah you can't it is it. such a huge part of a driving force uh a creative driving force uh, my one uh one of two experiences writing comics uh the person i worked with uh, i was very lucky in that they lived in the same city and worked at the same nine to five that I did. So I uh, got to see them every day, whether I wanted to or not. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. And uh, uh, like- yeah, it ended up, it ended up being uh, very beneficial for both of us. Um, but yeah, so uh, let's go back just briefly. Like, how did you get into comics first? Was, or let, let me, let me phrase it this way. What came first comic books or Star Trek? 
Well, I have a great answer for that because okay. I, my earliest memory is drawing Star Trek, uh, drawing on a coffee table or uh, drawing on a kitchen table with my grandmother, mm-hmm. teaching me Spanish, you know, just, you know, Spanish no one through 10 or whatever. I remember yeah. that distinctly and drawing a Star Trek comic. So I had a Star Trek comic and I was drawing uh, the Enterprise. Um, my, um, I remember like before that slightly, I remember, uh, you know, going into my bedroom when I was like, geez, three or four, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, my, they just put a new dresser or, you know, they just moved a dresser in there and put some clothes on the first, on the top two shelves, but I opened the bottom one and it was full of comic books. And I was like, I was like staggered. I was like, what are these things? You yeah. know, and I pull them out and I started looking. And, uh, my older brother, uh, Terry was like, oh, those are, um, those are comic books, you know, somebody writes them, somebody draws them, somebody inks them, letters and colors. He told me the whole thing. I can't believe he had that much knowledge at like five, you know, two years older than me. Yeah. And he knew the whole, how, how they were done. Wow. And, and I was just holding it. And I was like, I am going to do these. I'm going to make these when I get big, you know? And I mean, it was my earliest memory of anything was that, that, you know, that whole drawer full of comics. And it was like old sci-fi comics. I, I imagine, I mean, they must've been handed down from my older two brothers and um you know they were all these sci-fi mystery kind of comics and stuff like that i, I mean they had all the star trek golden gold key star trek comics from the oh, 60s fun, 70s, yeah know? yeah so i was just you know and i was already watching star trek on tv and i had the star trek comics so i mean i could not have been maybe five i, I mean i remember going out like drawing star trek running outside in the yard and playing star trek and you know, yeah. I asked my, my brother would play Kirk and I'd play Spock and, you know, I'd run around with this, uh, uh, you know, a thing that looked like a, a tricorder, you know? Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So, so I imagine, uh, so I imagine uh, the OG TOS is your crew. Oh yeah. If yeah. you got, if you got to go. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I watched that religiously all my life and know? see, and see you playing, you wanting to play Spock more than Kirk is, is interesting as well. So I assume Spock is favorite character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love them all. Right. But right, like, right. <laughs> I, I do remember asking, you know, I play Spock and uh, like I have uh, Spock fan art, you know, I buy it in shows yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like I, I have a glitter Spock. Somebody made a Spock out of glitter. You know, I love all the hand done uh, Star Trek uh, art. I got a Spock finger puppet. Oh my God. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That is so cool. I love all that stuff. Yeah. It's just so fun. I really love that stuff. It's so great. I, uh, I'm a, I'm a product of TNG. Uh, so uh you know, I've spoken at great length uh, many times about, you know, Jean-Luc being that calm but stern and understanding voice I needed as a young man. And Deanna Troy being uh, a oh, bit yeah. of a deciding factor in uh, young Todd's life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, comic books for me were also really big um, in my growing up just because I went to a, a very religious school and just if it wasn't, if we weren't reading the Bible, it was, you know, just the most boring book they could find. And I just did not interest me at all. And of course my reading and my grades suffered for it because I just didn't care until they started introducing me to science fiction and Hey, here's Batman. And, you know, they slid me that and they slid me, uh, I got my hands on, uh, I think some X-Men stuff and, um, yeah, it just kind of blew, you know, that that really sort of fostered the creativity. And I think the creativity sort of held the hand of the um, hardworking or intellectual side, the scholastic side, and just like, mm. hey, we have to go together. <laughs> um, and yeah, eventually led me to, you know, trying my hand at it. It's And it's so funny to me. Do you still get people who are just like, oh, you just make funny books? Is, is that still a thing? Do you encounter that? Um, when I'm at a convention or something and I encounter people like, um, they seem to not either, you know, either they don't know that comics are still made or they, or, yeah. <laughs> or it's uh, freaky to them that actually humans draw stuff yeah. and make them. And, uh, so pretty much every convention I do, I have to, um, not have to, but I enjoy explaining how comics are made and all that stuff. Cause, uh, uh, some people just don't have art in their life and yeah. they may walk up to the show and be like, what are you doing? You know, I'm oh, like, yeah. I, am, I am drawing Batman or whatever. And they're like, <laughs> why? You know, and it, you just kind of explain 
the whole process, the whole history, or you know, briefly, so you don't bore them or whatever. But exactly, because I but mean, it, those conversations yeah. can go for hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially if it was like you get me started, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the entire history of comics. But um, like even when I was a kid, like uh, you know, you, you you say, oh, you maybe you weren't so much into the reading the Bible or whatever. But I I remember reading or seeing you know, like the illustrated Bible or the illustrated classics. I've got or, it on my shelf back here. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but I love all that like fifties, uh, illust- like fancy illustrator type stuff. And oh, yeah. uh, I remember reading the Star Trek newspaper, uh, or, you know, the, when the motion picture came out, I remember reading the, you know, the, the Star Trek daily uh, newspaper uh, yeah. strip. That, that was awesome. Oh man. Yeah. I, uh, I, I've, I, comics is such a unique medium and I think that's why, I end up getting bent out of shape over bad comic book movies. I'm like, there is no excuse. Oh yeah. (laughs) You've got 50 years at least of decent scripts and storyboards. How can you not make a decent comic book movie? Yeah. It reminds me of that line uh, from Picard, you know, where the Admiral's uh, yelling at uh, Picard and, you know, she's like the, the blanking hubris, you know, like, uh, you know, some of these movie guys are just like, Oh, we know better, you know? And it's like, no, 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 no there's something fundamental about those comics that struck a chord with everybody, including the people in Hollywood that are, you know, excited to make these films and people should be, you know, going back to some of that for um, story elements or anything. It's like, there's a reason Batman has worked for 80, almost a hundred years. You know, it's like, don't deviate. Exactly. Let me ask you this. What was your, what was your first professional comic book gig? I am. Uh, when I, I got out of the Marines, I self-published a book with, uh, with a buddy of mine that was in the Marines. And um, thank you for your service. Oh, thank, uh, uh, thank you. Um, and so that was a good trial run because we, uh, you know, I, I drew it, I lettered it and all that stuff. And um, even though it wasn't pro work, it, it is something I did that I learned the whole experience. I went to the printer, like, like we had to print like the apartment I was living in um, had a printer next door and they did the whole printing thing and oh, with wow. the giant steel plates and all yeah. that stuff. So, the, so they gave me a good rundown of how it works. Um, uh, a couple of years later, I self-published another book and um, that got me noticed by Rob Liefeld, uh, you know, creator of Deadpool and yeah. many, many more things. And uh, he, I, I met him at a Dallas convention. And then a week later, I saw him in a San Diego Comic-Con and he's like, oh, you're that guy that did that book, Mud, right? And I was like, because my book was called uh, My Name is Mud. And uh, okay, I, was yeah. like, I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you want a job? And I was like, oh, I couldn't even breathe. It was like, oh, I was having a heart attack. And uh, <laughs> he's like, um, he's like, uh, show up at my office on Monday. You can start then. And I was like, oh, my God. And uh, that was my first uh, hiring moment. And I was I worked in studio for a while. And um even my first week at the studio, I was drawing like 20 to 40 pages, you know, just to, just to keep going. Yeah. And he, he paid me for everything and he paid me a lot more than I was worth because I was learning and not good. And uh, <laughs> um, the, me at that time was trying hard. So I, I don't want to, you know, talk bad about myself at a time when I was busting my butt to try to do a right. good job. Everybody's got to start somewhere. Everybody, does, yeah. everybody needs a break. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And God bless Rob Liefeld because he was paying a lot of money for, for practice work, really. And he's like, I'll never publish this, but keep going, you know? And I was like, <laughs> I mean, you, you can't, how do you, how do you beat that as a learning experience? You know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there, look, dig hard enough on any comic book creator. You'll find fans and you'll find uh, trolls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, and in Rob Lowe, I feel, you know, with all of his credentials, he's, he's no exception. Like he, he has his fair share of trolls, but he's also a guy who has worked, who has also worked and busted his butt and, and gained some, some, some success and I think the best thing you can do with that is to pass it on or to, you know, inform and bring somebody up. You know, I, I try to do that when uh, I see newer comics, um, you know, at, at standup shows who, man, I, I'm, I'm just going to try this. You know, a, the pandemic ended up making a lot of people think, you know what, I better try it. I'm not, I'm not getting any younger. So after, yeah. after that first wave, there was a big flood of new comics of wow because everybody everybody was stuck at home watching netflix 
So oh, yeah. they were all like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And, <laughs> they watched uh, all the comedy specials. Oh, yeah. So, you know, uh, that huge that huge wave by the next week was cut in half. And then mm. after that second week, it was cut in half again. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, okay. People are starting to get it. Yeah, it's not that yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah. But um, so let me ask you, when, when in that... Um, so in the timeline of your career with comics and of course your fandom of Star Trek being ever present, when did airship enterprise pop into your head and how did that come to be? Cause it's, it's amazing. It's brilliant. I absolutely love it. I'm kicking myself that I didn't find it sooner. <laughs> oh man. I, uh, I think that's been percolating since I was a little kid. Like uh, when I was watching Star Trek, you know, it would be like, uh, so I grew, I grew up in uh, North Texas. And uh, so it'd be like, uh, you'd, you'd watch Westerns all day and then um, uh, Wild Wild West would come on and then Star Trek would come on. And I was yeah. like, I was like, what if the Enterprise, you know, because they're always going back in time. I was like, what if they went back to the Wild Wild West? And, you know, yeah. Uh, and then once, you know, even uh, like a company, Antarctic Press, like they were publishing steampunk stuff in the 80s before steampunk had a name. And, um, and we even solicited a book, you know, taught our distributor, we were going to make a book called steampunk in like 94 mm-hmm. before any of the wave and, and there weren't even orders for it, you know, so they had to, they just didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when steampunk started getting more and more, you know, more steam and rolling, um, right. you know, we started doing all kinds of steampunk stuff and I was like, Hey, we should do a, you know, a steampunk star Wars. We should do a steampunk star Trek, you know, and, and skirt the edge. And, um, I, I, you know, so I came up with Airship Enterprise and um, one of the other guys at the studio came up with like uh, Steam Wars. So he did his version of, you know, Star Wars as a steampunk story. And I did uh, Star Trek, you know, man, that's as a awesome. steampunk without you know infringing on any trademarks or copyrights or right I, I mean that that will get into the nitty-gritty and i'm and we'll we'll get we'll because i definitely want to pick your brain about that sort of thing because i've got some personal projects in the works that will kind of do the same thing and uh it helps to talk to somebody who's actually been there done that um so in the so first of all thank you again for coming on and uh airship enterprise is amazing your work is really really great with antarctic press and the work that you've done uh throughout your career so so far is you know great and i can't wait to see what you do next um but let me ask you uh you know kind of getting into uh the reason why we're here star trek uh specifically enterprise do you recall uh watching enterprise for the first time this this wasn't your first viewing of something enterprise was it oh no 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 okay I, good uh, all right <laughs> i um I do remember watching Enterprise for the first time. My uh, I um, my daughter was born uh, on like just right before nine eleven, and um, oh, congratulations! And, um, oh, thank you. She, um, you know, uh, oh yeah. So I was at the at the hospital and all that stuff, and, and then when like nine eleven happened, um, I, I remember driving home from the hospital and, and uh, all that stuff, and, and and you know, hearing it on the news in Los Angeles, and it was like is this Howard Stern like being silly or what is it? You know, yeah. Calling calling the hospital and they're like, Oh my God, we're watching it on the news. Mm -hmm. The the reason I bring that up like uh, is because once nine 11 happened, like every pregnant woman in Los Angeles went into labor because they were just so stressed. And uh, wow. so my daughter was, you know, she's born like several months early. So uh, she was in the NICU and uh, luckily you know, she got in there before 9-11 happened. So when 9-11 happened, all these women showed up at the hospital and trying to, you know, have their babies And the hospital was like, you're going to have to go to another hospital. We're just packed. And they, they, they sent uh, one, uh, one lady was coming. She, they, they sent her 40 miles away. That was the nearest hospital that could, that could deliver a baby that wasn't booked. Wow. And, uh, holy crap. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'd heard you uh, talk about 9-11 on uh, the podcast that just went live last night. And uh and I remember, you know, so many, uh, babe, you know, premature babies were dying at the hospital because they couldn't get service or they, you know, um, they were just born way too early because the, the moms are going into labor. And it's like, yeah. you know, that's a cost of 9-11 that you don't think about is. No, I, you know, pregnant. I, yeah. gosh, oh. I, I ne- I'd have never thought about that, but it makes sense. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. So, so just after nine 11, you know, Star Trek enterprise started and I was so excited for it, but I was, 
I just didn't have the spirit or something, you know, like I couldn't keep up with it. I, I watched maybe five episodes and I was, I, I rewatched enterprise uh, just a, like 10 years ago. And mm-hmm. I was like, I remember this one. I remember this one. I remember this one. I have no clue what this one's about. And I was like, Oh my God, did I just stop watching this show? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, why? And I was like, Oh, well, nine 11 happened. And then, you know, my baby was born and, you know, it was like, I was up night and day because she had the, you know, heart monitor and all that stuff. And that was beeping. And, you know, you had to go make sure she was still breathing. And it was very, uh, yeah, very tense time for me. And it was like, I, I couldn't believe I couldn't keep up with Star Trek. Cause that was like, you know, Star Trek is my life. And I just didn't, I wasn't able to. So the, the entire run of enterprise, I think I saw the first few and then the last few. Wow. And then um, about what 12 years ago, maybe uh, I, I was with a, a girlfriend at the time and uh, she's like, let's watch enterprise. You know? And I was like, okay. You know? So we started from the beginning and watched all of them. And, and she's actually a handler now for a bunch of Star Trek actors. And oh, really? she'll, yeah, she'll fly <laughs> around the world uh, taking care of the Star Trek actors. Oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah. somebody I need to get in touch with. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I bet she's got stories. Yeah. Yeah. I she's bet. Just, She's cool. Uh, so, uh, you know, getting into uh, this particular episode of Enterprise, we're seeing, you know, uh, this is in we're hip deep in season three, man. And we're seeing this trek is taking its toll on folks. And uh, there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of high spirits. There's a lot of tension, not a lot of faith of the heart. If, if, if I can <laughs> yeah. go ahead and make that joke yeah. as this early yeah. in the show. Um Oh, we're going to sing that whole song. Oh, yeah, it's going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, we're seeing, you know, we've been focusing a lot on um, Archer and his uh, path of becoming less concerned with discovery and diplomacy and more concerned with uh, survival and the desperation and and revenge, Uh, revenge for the people who were killed by the Zindi on earth uh, in Florida, although we don't really care that much about Floridians, but anyway, uh, <laughs> it, it didn't get up. It did get up above Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Down. It didn't, it didn't hit the panhandle. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, looking at those types of things, we're also seeing uh, the, at this point ever slowly grinding, bl- blossoming, but slowly, uh, romance between uh, Trip and T'Pol, which um, just a quick note, let me just go ahead and put this out there for those people who are out there referring to them as um, as Tuck Paul, um, please stop using that uh, celebrity uh, couple name. Uh, instead, I'd like to offer to Pucker. I think that would actually work a little bit better to Pucker. Uh, we'll we'll put that as a poll on our uh, on our Twitter in, in the not too distant future, and you guys can oh, that's a good uh, vote on that. <laughs> uh, but uh, what what did you th- what were your overall thoughts about uh, this particular episode? Uh, trying to you know steer clear of spoilers uh, here at the top, but what were your thoughts in watching Archer sort of basically you know shake the crap out of a guy on a medical table while at the same time Trip is. Uh, Got the ladies uh, battling over him. What'd you think? Yeah, no, this is a very intense episode and you can totally Mm -hmm. see the stress in the captain just being like, uh, you know, he ain't taking crap no more, you know, Mm. and, and uh, uh, this has a lot of great stuff in it. You know, there's uh, there's love and hate and all the emotions in between. And um, uh, it's very, very intense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, before we get uh, more into this episode, let's get to this week's recap. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Things are heating up on Enterprise. He's determined to take out the security of this ship. Get us out of here. He tried to destroy my ship. Why? Is everyone on this ship watching us? Why won't you let me do my job? You're a little jealous. I don't experience jealousy. Enterprise is continuing along its course towards Anzati Prime to find the Zindi weapon. Trip begins spending time with a female Mako, and T'Pol begins to exhibit signs of suppressed jealousy. Meanwhile, 
The long-simmering tension between Reed and Major Hayes finally comes to a head when Hayes approaches Archer over their security roles aboard an Enterprise. Hayes suggests training together to share ideas. Yeah, right. But Reed sees this as a move to undermine his authority. And you will respect my authority! Enterprise diverts to investigate a convergent region of spatial anomalies. And so on. Where the crew discover a pod containing an alien. The pod is retrieved, and the alien is taken to sickbay. But Doc Flox can do little to keep him alive. Archer wishes to interrogate him, and does so against Flox's wishes. Meanwhile, Hayes sets up a weapons training session and continually comments at Reed's performance. They later get into a fistfight, much to Archer's chagrin. Tapucker finally continue their Vulcan neuropressure sessions, and T'Pol reveals her conversation with Sim Trip to him, and the two, well... Get down, 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 get down. Later in the mess hall, T'Pol is very clinical in thanking Tucker for his assistance in her one-time exploration of human sexuality. Back in sickbay, the alien revives and physically begins to phase. He attacks flocks and then heads through walls towards the warp core, attempting to destabilize the magnetic seals. Reed and Hayes, now working together, your powers combined. stop the alien and he is returned to sickbay. Archer once answers. The alien says that when the Zindi destroy Earth, his people will prevail and phases again, disappearing completely. So yeah, we've got the A plot and the B plot here. It feels like the A plot, which I will assume is the alien they find in the pod and Archer trying to get information. It almost takes a back seat because we've seen we've seen Archer at this point of being so close so much that it's kind of like, okay, yeah, we've we've seen in we've seen this uh we've heard this song and dance before. Um What's going on with uh, Tucker and Paul? Like that, that ends up overshadowing this particular chapter of, you know, the ongoing narrative. But just quickly, do you think, uh, do you think Archer is really, <laughs> is he losing his honor? You know, we talked about uh, some Klingon words uh, in, you know, for the <laughs> beginning of the show. Is he losing his honor? in how he's conducting himself as a captain with uh, people that he encounters and trying to gain information about the Zindi here? Whew. Uh, that's a, that's a heavy question to start off with. Um, mm-hmm. um, he is at a position now where, I mean, people have shown up to earth and carved their name in, in Florida. Yeah. Um, as a first strike, just a weapons test, yeah. you know, He's these guys aren't messing around, you know. He's like, there's, there's, there's aliens out there, eight of them or whatever, you know. The the multi, you know, yeah, oh, yeah, multi multi species, and I mean, he he's also talked to a future person. He knows the Earth is going to get destroyed. He 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 knows he's the first line and only line of defense, and he knows those weapons are way more powerful than anything Earth has to offer yeah. to defend yeah. against it. He, he he ain't messing around. You know, and he knows the Vulcans will probably maybe not help him out. You know, in this situation, there is no Starfleet. It's yeah, just yeah. Earth and he's got his ship. And, you know, maybe uh, what's the other what's the other ship? You know, the the O2, maybe yeah, it'll show um, up, you know? Yeah. For, oh, gosh. I forgot yeah, the name I, of the other ship. I yeah. can't recall it right now, but it's like, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, yeah, at the, at this point, he has no option. He has to find all the answers as fast as possible, uh, no matter what what it takes. You know, there is no line of honor. It's you know he he is going to fight dirty. You know, to go back to our Klingon word of the day. Right, right. Yeah, I you know looking at uh, you know we've spoken at great length about you know Archer and his desperation. Now, as a side note here, I find in comedy, desperation ends up bringing about some very funny moments. See also Robin Hood Daffy as he's swinging on that vine and hitting every single tree on the way down. But you hear the desperation in his voice coupled with the pain he is experiencing. Um, 
it, I fall down laughing every time. But in terms of this, what what Archer is experiencing and having to command in, especially post 9-11, you know, I wonder if some of that stuff is finally hitting the screen of, you know, it, you know, takes some time to sort of marinate some of those ideas and let them, you know, um, uh, solidify into scripts. And I think this is where some of that stuff's coming from a little bit. Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. This is, this is, you know, year three of, of the war or whatever. And the writers are like, wow, like, you know, how far are we going to take it? You know, we're, we're, we're waterboarding people for answers that, yeah. And they're, they're not going to give the proper answer. They're just going to say whatever, you know, whatever's needed to get out of the waterboarding. Exactly. Know? Yeah. And, it doesn't take, it doesn't take a very deep dive into, Guantanamo Bay and, you know, uh, undercover operations where that involved torture, you know, and a lot of these types of things. And we're seeing, we're not seeing Archer torture people on a weekly basis, but I mean, we did see him take a pirate who was just, yes, they tried to steal some stuff from enterprise and a, at least one crew member got killed. One enterprise crew member got killed. But we see Archer take this dude, toss him in an airlock and hit depressurize. Like mm. they're like, sir, you're going to kill him. He goes, not for another 20 seconds. <laughs> like, mm. whoa. <laughs> well, and, yeah. And, and in this episode, you know, he told Dr. Flax, he's like, you know, I want this guy awake and giving me answers. And Dr. Flax like, no, I'm not going to do that. The guy's in pain. He's like, you know, and he told he told the doctor to go against his um, the Hippocratic oath to do yeah. harm. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, wake this guy up. I want answers right now, you know? Yeah, and I think, I mean, we, you know, Scott Bakula, obviously, uh, you know, the star of the series, top build, of course, they kind of, you know, that this particular franchise or this particular series of the franchise kind of rests on his shoulders, especially with all the credit he had from Quantum Leap and all that stuff. But I got to say, one of the characters who... I think is probably consistently overlooked, but whose story arc is incredibly fascinating is Doc Flocks because since season one, this guy has been riding, riding solo uh, with all these humans and having to maintain his Hippocratic oath in the face of at first these wild cowboys who were just letting their dogs pee on whatever. And now it's kind of like, Oh, I got to make sure we can sleep at night and that we maintain part of our souls because some of the things that are happening here are questionable yeah. At, yeah, he, at, he, at, at, at least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Flax is the, the moral center and um, yeah. you know, like uh, he's Dale on walking dead, you know, he's the one that gives you, you know, when you're like, do we kill this guy or not kill this guy? And you know, he's the voice of reason uh -huh. in a civilized world. And he has to be reminded we're not living in a civilized world, you know, and yeah. it's like, well, do we make the world civilized again or do we revert to, uh, you know, brutality? Yeah. And uh, that's the that's what this crew has to deal with right now. And but they're on a timetable, you know, Walking Dead may have, you know, infinite amount of time left on the planet. But, you know, uh, Enterprise crew has, you know, months before Earth is going to get destroyed, you know, and right. and, um, you know, it, it, it makes the decisions harder, you know, like with that timetable, it's like, I, I can't wait for a right answer. You know, I for need sure. this now, you know? So if I can just ask real quickly, you know, we've talked a lot about this desperation you've, you, and you've mentioned so far about uh, your military service and uh, the circumstances in which your daughter was born and all of these things. I got to imagine at some point you felt maybe not exactly the desperation that Archer is feeling, but definitely a heavy sense of desperation. And I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing something that uh, our, our time either, you know, as a soldier or as a father or as a professional uh, in general, I imagine the creative, the creative side uh, gets a little hairy from time to time. Uh, uh, have you experienced have you experienced that type of intense uh desperate uh situation at all i you know i um I, I do understand archer you know is in a pressure cooker and um you know you can just i mean that tension is palpable you know mm -hmm. uh, um and i've 
been a Marine. I've been a father. I've been in a studio with people and deadlines and pressure, 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 you know, all over the place. And I mean, I've been in, I've been in a studio with uh, people punching holes in walls and fights and, you know, that Uh kind of thing. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, knock out, drag out fights where you go out in the, you know, you take it outside on, you know, onto, into an alley or a, or a balcony and, and fight it out. And, you know, everybody's screaming for reason. And, but the pressure is there between the two, you know, two people. Yeah. And I've, I've seen it in the Marines, I've, you know, I've seen it as a married person, you know, it just how, you know, and, and even watching the, you know, uh, today is the, uh, the Johnny Depp trial I've been listening to all day. And it's like, yes, I mean, you know, people in situations that are, have that pressure and they can't, you know, they don't either, they don't have the coping mechanisms to deal with all that pressure or the pressure is just too much where there's, there's no way out of it. You know, it's yeah. somebody's going to release some steam, you know, um, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been in fights in the Marines with other Marines for, for no reason other than just you're under a lot of pressure and uh, there's no reason for it. It's just, you know, you got a helmet on and you got a flag jacket on you're you got steam coming out of your, uh, out of your vest, you know, it's just so hot and everybody's screaming and uh, you know, fights happen. And um, uh, I could, I could imagine that situation for Archer with an enemy where he's like, you know, where, you know, he still values life, but you know, there's a point where it's like this, this guy's life is to take out my life and everybody I know's life, you know, and it's right. like, you have to just put a wall there and it's like this, you know, separate that person, you know, that, that being, um, I mean, you, you have to be the wolf at the door, you know, you have, you cannot let that wolf in or yeah. it's going to kill everything, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, for it, you mentioned, uh, folks not having coping mechanisms and we've talked, uh, I've talked with a few folks about uh, the issues and um, plot elements uh, surrounding uh, mental health in specifically here in Picard. I don't know if you're watching much of the news oh, yeah. direct that's I, out I, there. I watch, I watch all of it. <laughs> awesome. And you know this this it, these uh, topics of mental health are coming up more and more. And we we actually started seeing the mental health issues coming up in TNG. This was. You know, the 60s had its issues of the day that it was addressing through science fiction when, uh, you know, 1987 rolled around. Now there's a counselor on board and, you know, people go and talk about their problems. Like a lot of that stuff's coming back. My father, I've mentioned before, uh, my father served in Vietnam. He would have really benefited from sitting with a therapist. But at that time, mental health, especially for guys coming back from the service, was little more than shell shock. I think, you know, they were, they were still, you know, to a degree calling it shell shock. And a lot of guys were self-medicating and things like that. But all that to say, if you're feeling, if you're out there and if you're listening to the pressure or you're listening to the show and you're feeling that pressure in your life, be it from work or from family or just life in general, just keep in mind, there are people out there who who want to listen, who want to help you. And if it's any consolation, you know what you get with pressure diamonds, you know, the things that you go through in life do make you that they do refine you to that next moment. Um, I spoke at great length with the author of the gospel, according to star Trek and, you know, and I'm not here to, you know, pressure you to share your religious point of views or anything like that. But the decision came, the the conversation boiled down to look, there's, there's people out there who, who are willing to help you. And, you know, all, all you need to do is ask. And sometimes that's the hardest part, but um, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't tap out. Don't, don't, don't cash in. There's, there, there is help out there there, you know, and there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. So um It gets better. (laughs) It does. It really does get better. And we've got another season of lower decks coming up soon. So hang on. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. There's reason to smile. Exactly. Uh, The the sun will come up another day. It's always darkest before the dawn. You know, exactly. That's right. Um, So, Uh, well, uh, back to mental health for a second. You 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 were talking about the original Trek and original, like the cage episode, the very first one. 
mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the captain was at the end of his rope, you know, um, I, I love the cage because um, a, as it starts off, if you notice the rest of the crew um, on the bridge, like um, the navigator has a, a bandage around his hand, everybody's injured, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then Pike, you know, because they were in a previous battle that we never saw, you know, until Pike starts revealing it. Yep. But, um, you know, he had to talk to uh, his doctor, you know, the bartender, you know, yeah. The, the, <laughs> you know, he's like some, some mental, you know, tell his, tell his bartender what he won't tell the doctor, you know, that kind of line. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but Kirk uh, many times went to uh, McCoy for uh, advice, you know, even the, uh, the episode with the salt vampire, you know, the, um, yes. oh my God, I cannot recall the name. Right now. Oh, my, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, which I, as soon as this is over, I, I will know it, but you know, you know, him and McCoy are, are uh, getting in a tiff, uh, you know, because uh, one of the guys died on the planet and um, uh, Kirk's mad about that, that, I mean, one of Kirk's men died, you know, and he's like, you know, Oh, uh, good old Johnny, you know, he, he, he wouldn't have done that. You know, what happened to him? And, you know, him and uh, Bones are, uh, you know, getting mad at each other because uh, they cared enough that one, one of their guys died. But, um, you know, um, Kirk's always seeking uh, McCoy's, uh, you know, uh, counsel. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, you know, we see it even in, uh, we see it even at the beginning of Wrath of Khan, where, yep. Bones shows up on his birthday. Damn it, Jim. Why are we treating, you know, everybody has birthdays. Why are we treating yours? Like it's a funeral, you know, yeah. it's, but I've, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm, I'm pushing 40 and I, you know, have taken to uh, watching the wrath of Khan on my birthday because I always, uh, the more, the older I get, I'm identifying with that sense of like, Oh yeah, man, you know, it's, there's something about it. That's very, very relatable. And uh, yeah. So we, uh, my uh, for that for a second, uh, my my birthday is in June, and uh, <clears throat> when I was a little kid, you know, 1982, yeah, Rathacon, uh came out like the week before my birthday or something. Oh, okay. And, and uh, oh no, yeah, the it was like the Friday before it, uh-huh. and so uh, so um, I, I went to, I mean, I was like in Abilene, Texas. <laughs> I walked all the way to the mall, you know, with my brothers to to get a ticket, and they were sold out. And I was like, <sighs> oh, so sad. So I came back the like the next day. And uh, next Saturday, you know, the very next morning on a Saturday, mm-hmm. I was able to I was able to get a ticket and go watch it, you know. But uh, so that is my birthday movie. I always uh, watch that for my birthday, which, you know, as I got older and especially once I passed 50, uh, you know, it it was more relevant because, you know, uh, William Shatner was about 50 when he made it. So yep. it, it uh, it's very important, you know, yeah, <laughs> to, absolutely. To revisit that moment you know it is a very it is a very important chapter in in not only in the franchise but in these characters that are such uh big archetypes and you know metaphors for the human existence and you know the things that uh they are experiencing star trek sci-fi in general has always been sort of the cautionary tale and you know the mythology by which we you know discuss topics of the day and all of this stuff so for 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 guys like us who who do start watching Wrath of Khan on our birthdays, there's a reason because we're finding that kinship in something that's familiar that, you know, oh, he went through it too. And it's it's comforting. It, it's comforting just to know you're not alone. Like somebody else has experienced it too. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier for folks who are feeling that pressure, like, and yeah, nobody, nobody's going to know exactly what you're going through, but you know what, but there's somebody who, who probably understands more than some, you know, yeah. you know, and they're willing to be there and listen, you know, it doesn't. And for those who aren't experiencing that, be open to someone saying, Hey, I'm struggling with X. Can I talk? Can I just talk at you for a second? Just, just, yeah. Okay. And just nod your head and listen to what they're saying. Like, and they don't necessarily need you to fix the problem. Just be there. Just listen. You know, that that does so much. I know when my mother passed away, the best thing that someone did was say, hey, I got to run to the store. You want to you want to ride shotgun? And I got in the car and he ended up driving me all over the county and just letting <laughs> me pour out my guts. <laughs> That's and awesome. It, it was so therapeutic, you know, to just talk to just continually talk it out, cry it out, scream it out, whatever you got to do. It's so important. So uh, shifting gears a little bit, let's discuss the uh, 
the the robe the robe drop heard round the world. <laughs> oh um, man, what what do you think about the the Tucker to Paul relationship here? I know earlier in the series, earlier in uh, Enterprise, there were kind of there was kind of some hinting that Archer and to Paul might actually get together at some point but that never seemed to come to fruition and that there might be some sort of love triangle between Archer and mm. Tucker <laughs> and to Paul, like buying, you know, the two friends vying over the same woman. Uh, oh, yeah. What do we think about how this was approached? I mean, she, she kind of played him. <laughs> she played him here. <laughs> to, to yeah, Paul she definitely played, messed with his head. <laughs> yeah. She definitely got what she wanted. And uh, you know, they had that conversation you know, they, they sit down and have a conversation and he's mad and, you know, he's like, oh, you, you, you got a thing for me. And she like flips it around and he's like, wait, wait, what? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but basically like never, never argue with a Vulcan. You'll, you'll, you're going to lose, you know, but. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I would have liked uh, Archer and T'Pol having a relationship other than mutual respect. Um Yeah. Uh, trip is interesting because you know he's so backwater hillbilly type you know yes, yes, <laughs> or he yes. seems that way and she's so elegant and uh, refined and and intellectual and they get along on a com they find common ground and it's like if they can find common ground you know humans are going to be able to find common ground with everybody exactly. they, they encounter except the zindi who want them dead right but, <laughs> but spoilers you know they may or may not i don't want to i don't want to ruin it but you know <laughs> um I, I I do like it. well it's interesting you know that that uh, you know Tapal drops her uh, her robe and you know uh, does the uh, uh, NYPD Blue you know was doing the yes oh the, yeah the, the butt scenes in the nineties and um, of course like I was in Dallas at the time or Fort Worth and um you know uh, the the TV show the the TV network there wouldn't air some of the episodes when you know uh, when the cops would you know be in bed together or, you know, or have their butt exposed or whatever. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, at the beginning of the two thousands, uh, Star Trek tried it, you know, they're like, we got our own network. We can do anything we want. Of course. Let, let's do a little, little of this, you know, and then yeah. now take it, take it to now you got game of Thrones and all these other shows where they, you know, they, they seem to just throw it out there no matter what, you know, the, Oh yeah. The, well, you know, it, with the premium services, you get premium con uh, quote unquote oh, yeah. premium content. <laughs> you, you're paying for it. You watch it. Exactly. Well, you know, it's funny. It's funny to talk about this a uh, little bit of, you know, a little trivia here. Uh, this episode actually aired 10 days after Su Super Bowl 38 and the infamous wardrobe malfunction between mm. Uh, Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. And uh, there's speculation that because of that, you know, everybody was super sensitive at the time. Uh, and uh, the um, when this episode of Enterprise was released in America, they actually zoomed in. They actually enlarged mm -hmm. the frame, which basically cut out, um, you know, Jolene Blalock's butt. So you didn't see that. However, if you were in Canada, Canadian. Oh, wow. Canadians didn't seem to have as much of an issue. So they got the full frame. And then of course, when uh, the DVDs were released, that's what the streaming services picked up to load into their systems for their, for their customers. So when you watch Netflix or Hulu, well, when it was on Netflix and Hulu, it's all on Paramount plus now, but uh, yeah, you act, you're actually seeing the DVD uh, release. So you're getting the full frame, you know, wow. uh, the full Monty as it were. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's that's fascinating. Yeah, uh, uh, I still feel sorry for Janet Jackson. It's like that that just like her career just kind of went, you know, record scratch right after that. And it's yeah. like, you know, she didn't yeah, yeah, and you know, Justin caught a fair share of flack for that too. Yeah, both of them, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, in t yeah, it's I think they caught a lot of the blame for that. But uh, speaking of blame, let's get to the section we have lovingly titled. Who do we blame? Uh, this story was written by Berman and Braga. Uh, they've been, you know, they've been uh, steering the ship uh, the whole time. The last episode that they worked on specifically was season three, episode 11, Carpenter Street, which we discussed with comedian podcaster David Baker back on episode 56. The teleplay was done by Manny Cotto, 
the last episode he worked on was season three, episode 12, the very next episode, Chosen Realm with director Roxanne Dawson, uh, a.k.a. Belana Torres from Star Trek Voyager. I I love her. I'm sorry if I. No, no, no. Yeah, go for it. I love her as, you know, as a character, but as a director, she she directs like my favorite stuff. Uh, She always finds these interesting camera angles. Uh, as a comic book guy, like like that's really fascinating. But uh, yeah, yeah, her stuff yeah. is very imaginative. Do you uh, do you uh, and we'll get back we'll get back to the baseball card stats here in a minute. But like, do you find yourself when you watch television and movies, are you more conscious of the director, the cinematographer, that sort of thing because of because of your because of your profession? Oh, yeah. And especially like this episode, um, there's some shots right at the beginning, the first maybe five minutes where it's like, you know, uh, uh, they go into Archer's room and the camera angles at the top looking yeah. down. And yeah. then um, there's another shot where he enters another room and it's like the camera is like underneath a table looking up at him mm-hmm. um, or, or one of the characters. And it's just so fascinating. I, I love this director on this episode, which you're about to get to. But, you know, he, he does a lot of great Star Trek. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we discussed. uh uh, season three, episode 12, Chosen Realm, with uh, author uh, Kevin C. Neese, uh, author of Gospel According to Star Trek. We discussed that back on episode 58. And uh, the director of this episode was David Livingston, whose last directing was uh, season three, episode 13, Proving Ground, which we discussed with actor and YouTuber Jay Curtis Strickland on episode 59. Uh, in terms of guest stars uh, returning, reprising his role as Major Hayes, of course, uh, Mr. Stephen Culp doing a great job. Uh, awesome. But then we've also got, uh, and this is uh, someone who I found very fascinating, uh, Miss Noah Tishby, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. No, Noah Tishby. Uh, she plays Corporal Amanda Cole, one of the Makos, the Mako that uh, we start the episode with uh, uh, Trip massaging, uh, doing the neuro pressure to her. Uh, she is an Israeli actress, writer, producer, and activist. Her first American credit was on the Drew Carey show back in 2003. And after that, she would get a bunch of one-offs on various TV shows until this, her only franchise appearance. Uh, and afterwards, she would do a lot of the same until she got uh, four episodes of HBO's Big Love in 2009, six, six episodes of Dig in 2015. Uh, but she was the co-executive producer on HBO's In Treatment for 110 episodes. And the reason I mention this is it's uh, the very first Israeli TV show sold to an American network. Uh, so there's a little bit of uh, television production history for, uh, for you folks out there. Uh, her album, Nona, was the first English-speaking album released by an Israeli artist and also the first to hit number one on the Israel uh, Israel charts. Uh, and to cap it all off, she served two and a half years in the Israeli Defense Forces. So like, <laughs> she's she's got the looks, she's got the talent, and if nothing else, she will kick your butt. <laughs> yeah. Those flips she was doing with Trip are real. Oh yeah, yeah. I was like, you know what? She's she's kind of nailing this role as a Mako. And then I started looking into it and found the Israeli Defense Forces. I like, okay, that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And then we've got Mister uh, rounding out the guest stars. We've got Mister Thomas uh, Kopachi. I believe I'm mispronouncing that, but I'll I'll stick with Kopachi. Uh, he plays the alien that they find in the uh, in the pod. And that Archer tries to interrogate. He actually started his career with a small role in 1983's Without a Trace. He played a police officer there. Uh, Without a Trace was starring Judd Hirsch and Stalker Channing. And it would be another 10 years before his first appearance in the franchise. First of many appearances in the franchise. Uh, he started with Star Trek The Next Generation Season 5, Episode 24, The Next Phase. And I mentioned he's appeared more than once. He's appeared in four Star Trek series and one movie and is one of only five actors to portray as many as seven characters, along with Vaughn Armstrong, who plays Admiral Forrest, uh, J.G. Hertzler, Randy Oglesby, who we've talked about at length uh, here more recently. He's one of the members of the Zindi. And of course, Mr. Jeffrey Combs. Um, In a review in 2004, uh, 
compared Harbinger to Deep Space Nine episode Call to Arms and noted its connection to the season-long Zindi arc in season three. Herc of Ain't It Cool News gave the episode a three out of five, but concluded for all its entertainment value, this episode doesn't have an idea in its head. It's one of the emptiest installments of Star Trek ever produced. I got to wonder what episode he was watching. I don't know that I, (laughs) maybe this was a, maybe that was a review of a different episode. I don't know, but that seems a little unfair or a little, a little harsh. (laughs) Uh, Screen, Screen Rant ranked Harbinger as the sixth best romance in Star Trek, noting this episode as the beginning of the T'Pol and Trip relationship or T'Pucker. Um, and so, yeah, this was a, this was a fun one. I really enjoyed it, but the question that is weighing on all of our minds, Brian, Mm. is this essential viewing? If someone were to sit down and view Star Trek for the first time, and they were actually going to start with enterprise, is this one of the episodes that they can't miss or can they blow by this one? Um, I think this is a uh, can't miss episode. This this has so much fun stuff and you get to see pretty much every character doing something cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get to see a little bit about them. Uh, there's very few scenes on the bridge, but you still get a little bit uh, going on up there, too. And um, and then you get to see the <laughs> them shooting the uh, the anchor thing or whatever, uh, you know, to retrieve the capsule in the in the. Yeah. Bigger in the big jelly mold. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, this, this is a fun episode. There's a lot of cool stuff in it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of the overall narrative, I, we've, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, I think we've seen Archer at this place of desperation and, you know, treating people that have information about the Zindi uh, with a less than captain-y attitude, uh, a bit of a, you know, dis- disregarding um, honor and diplomacy to accomplish his goal, which sometimes you got to make that hard call and you got to, you got to pull the trigger and do what you got to do. Um, I So in terms of that, we've had a bunch of those. So I question if this is for the overall narrative of enterprise, if this is included or not, but we do get if you know for folks out there i mean they mentioned it in some of the reviews this is one of the best romances in star trek between you know the tapucker relationship is one of the best and because it was so cut short you know very romeo and juliet like you know this is absolutely a must see episode for that particular vein of plot so if romance is your thing this is definitely a can't miss episode absolutely so brian final thoughts on this episode on enterprise as a whole uh the franchise as a whole uh your experience on this podcast final thoughts the floor it is having sir (laughs) i'm having a great time talking with you todd this is uh this is awesome we've got an absolute blast myself (laughs) yeah i i really wanted to talk to you about your uh the comic you wrote and your uh you know, in your military training or, or at least the, um, you know, your, um, uh, you know, when you're working at the jail. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Oh yeah. yeah. I got stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we could have went off for a long time about, um, you know, uh, when, um, when the two military guys are going at it, you know, and then they're getting dressed down in front of, uh, Archer, you know, it's oh, like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's some great stuff in this one. You know, and then and then the archer leaves, and they're like, "We're not dismissed, right?" <laughs> like, yes, are we dismissed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like you know, the, letting those guys sit there and stew together for however long Archer was gone. You know, probably did them a world of good. You know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. led them into the rest of the season. But I love this episode so much, and uh, I really love the character to Paul. Um, not just because she's you know pretty or whatever, but uh, I really love Vulcans, and this character is fascinating to me. Uh, pardon the pun and um, you know because she's the basically the Vulcans as they come later you know she's the Spock type Vulcan yes and and that's just incredibly cool and uh, you know I, I, I she has a great arc where you know you'll get we'll get to later where she starts having uh, you know uh, her mental capacities are, are, are failing her you know it's uh-huh. just, um, but it's cool to see uh, this as a high note in her life. I mean, she basically gave to her emotions and attacked trip and kissed him and all, you know, all that stuff. Like, um, 
I mean, her, her encounter with uh, Sim Trip really, uh, really did a number on her. You know, she, she, it like broke down all the barriers she had between um, before, before Sim Trip and after Sim Trip, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Her relationship yeah. with him is, is really cool. Uh, I'm just rambling. You can, you can, <laughs> you can no, interrupt. No, that's great, man. Uh, well, uh, folks, next week we will be joined by comedian, writer, actor, dragon puncher, Mr. Mark Viola to discuss Enterprise season three, episode 16, Doctor's Orders, which of course is available exclusively on Paramount Plus. Brian. Where can people find your work and support what you're doing um, online? I am at Twitter, uh, uh, Brian Denham, and that's B-R-I-A-N-D-E-N-H-A-M, and uh, Instagram at Brian.Denham, and sometimes I do TikTok at uh, uh, Brian Denham Comics. And I am at Mr. Tade Davis on all of the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in 10 forward. Like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop, and our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn, and the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're going to find a brand new race. To Pucker finally continue their Vulcan neuropressure sessions, and to Pucker and to Paul. Nah, I tried to be funny. Mm, all right. What are you, a comedian? Yeah. <laughs> like some sort of comedian? Ugh. Let's try it again. <clears throat> How's that for a slice of fried gold?